the United States and the Soviet Union on a sheet of ice in Lake Placid, New York. Muller trying to turn. There's the left foot. What a tracking shot. Johnny Muller. If you see a 9-9, Olga Corbett's won a gold medal. There it is. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Unbelievable. You're listening to a podcast from Key Moments in Cold War Sports History, an online archive series showcasing the work of expert historians. I'm Vince Hunt and I'll be hosting the series, asking each guest to choose an important document or artefact they think is of great significance in the Cold War sports arena. Incidentally, if you like these shows, please share them with your friends and colleagues and rate and review us on iTunes. It really helps new listeners find us. In this podcast series, we're looking in detail at some of the sporting systems in operation in rival states during the Cold War. We'll talk about the USA, about East Germany and about South Africa. But the key player was the Soviet Union, and I'm delighted to have the Deputy Director of the Russian State Archive of Contemporary History with me, Mikhail Prozomenshikov. Uh, Mikhail, uh, tell me about your archive. I mean, this is a treasure chest. Our archive was organized in 1991 after the collapse of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. And uh, first it uh, called, it named as the storage center for contemporary documentation. And only in 1999 it was recalled in the Russian State Archive of Contemporary History. Uh, Our archive stored the documents of the former Uh, Central Committee of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. And when we organized, uh, the most part of the documents were closed. And uh, we need to declassify all this uh, time, almost 25 years, our archive. Uh, We declassified our documents. We have no right to declassify ourselves. And even our ministry, the so-called Rosarchiv, also didn't write, don't write, to, has no right to declassify these documents. Only a special committee under the president. And this committee, of course, try to declassify, but it works very, very slowly. And uh, nowadays, about uh, 40% of our documents still close. And we have two groups of the documents. One group, uh, the commission look through these documents, uh, the most part declassified, and some of the documents, they still uh, close. The commission decide that they still closed. But the most part of the documents, uh, maybe 30% of our documents, uh, nobody look through them. And they have the secret, top secret, and other from 1930s, 1940s, and so on. And the commission didn't look through these documents. Uh, They said, oh, we we have no time. We have no time. Maybe next year, maybe next five years, maybe next 10 years, they look these documents. And they still uh, secret, but many of them had no any secret from the very beginning. Maybe one example, we have a, a program of the concert to the anniversary of the October Revolution. This program has no secret. 
the singers and no more. But nevertheless, somebody put secret on this document in 1970s. And we couldn't take off this secret. One of the things I'm interested in, in talking to you about today is the, the dream of Leonard Brezhnev to bring the Olympics to Moscow. That's the crowning glory of a, of a sporting system, isn't it? To, to host the Olympics. And, and the Soviet Union really wanted to embrace that, didn't it? Uh, Brezhnev really wanted to organize the Olympic Games in the Soviet Union. It was his dreams since 1950s. You know, in 1950s, he wanted to organize the Olympic Games in the Soviet Union, but many, many obstacles. And uh, there were two mm, problems. The first problem, uh, the Soviet Union had no infrastructure to organize these Olympic Games. No restaurants, no transport, no hotels and so on. And the second part uh, concerned the Cold War, the situation of the Cold War, the Iron Curtain that divided into two parts because uh, the Soviet leaders afraid of the Soviet, that the Soviet people could face with Western journalists with Western peoples which came to Moscow. And beside that, according to the role, according to the rules of the International Olympic Committee, uh, the country which invited the Olympic Games had to invite all the members of the International Olympic Committee. And uh, such countries as uh, Taipei, South Korea, Israel, South Vietnam, and many, many others they were the members of the Olympic Committee, but they had no any relations with the Soviet Union. And Soviet leaders didn't want to invite these countries. It, and it was one, one of the most problem, one greatest problem for the Soviet leaders. They wanted to invite Olympics. They wanted to show all the world that Soviet Union is a beautiful country, that it's a good life under the socialism. But at the same time, they didn't want to invite such countries. And s uh, not only countries, uh, come uh, journalists, come uh, tourists, and so on. The 1952 Helsinki Olympics are an interesting example of the Soviet Union wanting to be part of international competition, but also wary of being poisoned by international contact. How did the athletes negotiate the difficulties of the Olympic Village? <laughs> it's very interesting thing because, uh, first of all, the Soviet Union demanded to build the separate uh, Olympic Village for Soviet Union and for the Olympics from the socialist countries. And uh, something was done, two buildings was created, and in these buildings lived Soviet Olympics and the Olympics from the socialist countries. And as I said, the most part of the Soviet Olympics lived on the Soviet territory and they only came to Finland to compete and after competition they returned to Soviet Union. And of course, many, many representatives of the KGB or at the time was Ministry of State Security uh, under Beria. And uh, they also 
went to Finland and to look very attentively at the Soviet sportsmen. And of course, some, sometimes Soviet sportsmen have opportunity to speak with the Olympics yeah, from other national teams. And uh, there were no problems. We have no any materials in our documents that uh, somebody was punished for these uh, relations. But of course, before they came to Finland, they have uh, an instructions, very, very strong instructions. What they must do in uh, Helsinki, how can they uh, speak, what speak about and uh, what speak not about, and so on. It was uh, very, very big control. In spite of the fact that, of course, uh, during the competitions, the contacts with other uh, sportsmen from other countries. And one of the obstacles to uh, the Soviet Union embracing this dream of Brezhnev to host the Olympics was not so much ideological, but financial, wasn't it? Because Khrushchev believed that the Olympics were a waste of money at a time when the Soviet Union was short of money. How much of an obstacle was that for Brezhnev? But he still got over it in the end. Uh, of course, Brezhnev understood that it's very, very uh, big, many money, many money Soviet Union had to spend for the Olympic Games. And uh, he understood the Soviet uh, economy was not in good situation. And for the Soviet Union, it was a very, very big problem. And uh, in 1975, when the Soviet Union even uh, already received uh, the right to organize the Olympic Games in Moscow, Brezhnev prepared a report to the 25th Congress of the CPCU. He received many materials about the situation in the country. And when he read these materials, he saw that the Soviet economic near the big crisis. And uh, he asked his uh, closest associate, Konstantin Chernenko, maybe we reject from the Olympic Games because it was enormous, enormous uh, for the Soviet Union. But it was only one Brezhnev was not sure in, this, in his decision because all his life, till his death, he wanted to organize Olympic Games in Moscow. He wanted to organize Olympic Games in the Soviet Union. Most of all, after the Olympic Games in Moscow, uh, he said once that maybe we organize the Winter Olympic Games. In uh, that moment was the idea to organize the Olympic Games in Leningrad, St. Petersburg. But Brezhnev realized that it was a very difficult situation in the country. And after the Moscow Olympics, many Soviet uh, constructions, constructions of the stadium, not only stadium, but factories, plants, was stopped. Because Olympics uh, took so much money that Soviet economy had no opportunity to struggle as before the Games. And Soviet Union had no money. Soviet Union was near a big economic crisis after the Olympic Games. So in achieving his dream of hosting the Olympics, 
Brezhnev's dream nearly bankrupted the country. I'm not sure that Brezhnev's, uh, Brezhnev thought about bankrupts, but uh, maybe near, near bankrupts. What would hosting the Olympics mean? It's first of all a prestige of the country. For Brezhnev, uh, he wanted to show the Soviet Union. He wanted to show the Soviet uh, style of life. He was sure that the Soviet Union, the Soviet people live the best of all. That uh, the Soviet Union is the most uh, interesting country for all the world. And uh, he wanted to show the so-called privileges of socialism. And beside that, he, is, uh, he was really interested in sport. He usually uh, visited uh, some sports competitions. First of all, hockey. He was fan of hockey. And uh, he wanted to see the Olympic in the Soviet Union. Maybe it's a kind of idea. It's his idea. How would you consider now, as the archivist, that particular period of, of Soviet sporting prowess? Do you consider that the Brezhnev era was a golden age because he kept the Soviet Union engaged in international competitions and, and tried to keep the politics out of it? He tried to keep the sport going and keep the politics out of it to some extent. Yes, I should say that uh, the Brezhnev's era was the golden age for the Soviet uh, sportsmen because the Soviet Union was, uh, of course, a totalitarian country and uh, many things, especially sports things, depend on the position of the first person in the country. And Brezhnev was maybe the only uh, Soviet political leader who liked sport, interested in sport, and did everything for the Soviet sportsmen. And uh, during his period, uh, many new stadiums built. Uh, sportsmen, because of course they were professional sportsmen. They not uh, lovers since the Soviet Union, because uh, of course the uh, Soviet Union said that all the sportsmen worked somewhere. Maybe some of them were students, some of them workers, engineers, and so on. But the Soviet sportsmen um, prepared for the games, for other competitions, uh, 10 or 11 months a year. And so where can they and how can they work in factories and plants and so on? Of course, they were professional and uh, they received money. And they received, uh, during Brezhnev's era, they received uh, good money, of course, for the Soviet uh, style. And uh, they received um, flats. They could buy cars in Soviet uh, life. It was a very big problem to buy car. And uh, they have many, many privileges. They live a very, very good life. So uh, I think that for in, during Brezhnev, Soviet sportsmen live very well. So if Brezhnev is a kind of godfather of Soviet sport, it's ironic that the intervention in Afghanistan led to the undoing of uh, the Moscow Olympics because 
of course, that led to the boycott. Uh, there was two problems in this. First of all, uh, the Soviet leaders uh, saw that even after Moscow became the Olympic capital in 1974, there were elections. Even after that, uh, the Western countries tried to take off the Olympics from Moscow. And uh, one on the one uh, meeting of, uh, of Politburo in 1979, before Afghanistan, one of the uh, Soviet political uh, figure uh, said that uh, Soviet Union uh, thought that um, Western countries tried to find any pretext to boycott Moscow Olympics. They understand before Lim Afghanistan. And as uh, for Afghanian, Afghanistan invasion, um, some of the Soviet politicians uh, thought that maybe w would be something as uh, with Hungary and uh, Czechoslovakia. It was many critics, many protests, but uh, to the July of 1980, when the Moscow Olympics began, everything became calm and the most part of the countries came to Moscow. You've been listening to a podcast from the series Key Moments in Cold War Sports History, a project bringing together experts from around the world and hosted here on the Wilson Centre's online digital archive at digitalarchive.org. These podcasts are part of the project The Global History of Sport in the Cold War, which is sponsored by the National Endowment of the Humanities, directed by Professor Bob Edelman of UC San Diego, Professor Chris Young from the University of Cambridge, and Dr Christian Osterman of the Woodrow Wilson Centre, and run in collaboration with the German Historical Institute Moscow, the Jordan Centre for Advanced Russian Studies at New York University, and Pembroke College, University of Cambridge. The presenter is Vince Hunt and the series is produced by Vince Hunt and Laura Dale.